The following podcast is intended for mature married adults. While all the content is wholesome and biblical, there are topics not intended for young children or those who are not married. Listener discretion is advised. A few days ago, we was introduced to a game called The Game. Has anybody played The Game? It's a card game. I've never played a game like that before where it was us against the game. Well, marriage is kind of like us against the devil. Pastor, you addressed it so well. Thank you. Thank you very much for that time of prayer. We needed that. Amen. So we have a chance right now for us to ask this panel uh, questions, questions that you have sent in. And this is a chance for you to receive instruction, advice, counsel, wisdom from many years of good marriages and many years of marriage counseling. Some of you may never go to talk to the pastor um, about marriage issues. You just you may, Maybe that's not you. But now we have a chance for you to hear something that will touch your life, will touch your marriage. And I was amazed at the honor and the can, uh, the, the honesty and the candor of these questions. And so we're going to dive right on in. We're going to ask questions. The format simply will be for me to ask a question for the most part and for people to respond as they feel led to do so. Occasionally, I'll call on people uh, if so needed or if it seems to be a pastoral, specifically pastoral question. So without further ado, let's ask some questions here. How do you successfully balance family, church, and work life? Pastor, I'll have you kick it off. Awesome. Um, I will tell you this. You don't have to reinvent the wheel when it comes to structure. One of the things that you have to, first person you need to be honest with is yourself. Second person you need to be honest with is your spouse, okay? Whether or not you're actually succeeding in balance. There's a tremendous amount of tips, tools, uh, ways out there to work. For me, this has taken place as a result of gleaning from mentors, asking questions, and then being honest with my spouse. Um, my wife and I, on a regular basis, we have to evaluate whether or not it's working. So I was on a, I was on a call yesterday. I get on a call on Fridays with a group of pastors uh, where we let an elder kind of speak words of reproof and correction, uh, give us instruction, but how many know that sometimes the word cuts and we weren't ready for it to cut, but it does. And so one of the ways uh, that that cut yesterday was how I am treating my mental health in regards to how I'm treating my time and balancing everything. And it made me look at my daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, and annual respite. How am I treating my life, my family? And so it's a needed reminder and so then what did I do? I didn't want to just think it's a good idea personally. I walked in, had the conversation with my wife. Actually, we had the conversation while driving to marriage seminar so that we can keep each other accountable for these areas. So the way that I keep it is I try to be intentional with my time. I will tell you this. If, if you're so busy that you cannot take time to plan to be effective, you will find yourself living frustrated. Um, so let me kind of punt this over for somebody who would want to speak to some of the practical side, uh, administrative side of just living life well. Okay, I'll, I'll address it because we all have a shelf life. We have a certain amount of energy, time that we have to invest in something. I choose to invest in my family. It's a decision. My wife and I started something back when we were pastoring we took a personal planning retreat, just the two of us. We went up to Big Bear outside of Los Angeles, usually around the end of October. It's fall. It's the only place you get fall in Southern California. Uh, I am, I'm now learning what fall is and what winter is, and it's of the devil. <laughs> Last week was proof. I mean, I left San Diego for what? But we took time to sit down and before we mapped out our church calendar, before we mapped out everything, we mapped out 
our family calendar. That way I could go with my staff and my team and I could say, okay, here's what the sergeant family, that told her and it told my children, I prioritize them. I'm balancing them into my life. I'm wanting to make sure my children and my family know that they have a place on my calendar. Put time, invest it, as Pastor said, invest it, be purposeful. Make sure that you're intentional about that block of time. I'll move to the next question. What are the best practices within marriage in order to maintain a strong relationship with love and happiness? Brother and Sister Mack? The, the theme is games. So like with categories or catchphrase, can't you just punch the arrow and skip <laughs> questions that you don't want to answer? No lifelines here. Been saving that punchline for the whole, since I saw the... <laughs> I got it in. Can I touch on the first question super fast? This is very tactical, very granular. I love, I'm a geek for time management. I won't unpack what that all means at the moment, but here's something I learned in my journey personally to be bivocational and to start and plant a church and to try to be a decent husband and a decent father. You should lay out the entire context of your life and you should ask yourself the question, if this one thing, whatever it might be, this one of a hundred things, is not something that I would start given my full context, then I should stop it. That's how you clean up the mess. If I wouldn't start this one thing, then we need to nix it from our lives altogether. That's how you create bandwidth for personal devotion. That's how you create bandwidth for family time. That's how you prioritize you don't have to say yes all the time. As a matter of fact, no is the best tool that you'll ever have in terms of leading your family. Do I have to ask, answer the other one now? The fact of the matter is those responses actually answered the second one pretty well. So I'm gonna jump to the third one. What have you learned from your several years of marriage that you wish you would have learned when you first, that you would have known when you first got married? I think I would have, as we were talking about the game, just remember that we're playing for the same team and to not take everything personal because sometimes he might say things and I'm being a tiff and he wouldn't know why. And just to respect each other and respect that we're different, we're coming from different places. And I don't think, given my background, I really understood what was going on up here. And so I needed to get some things in myself fixed and now I had a partner, and I was, it was convoluted, and I wish that I would have known and understood that some things I was battling, I wasn't battling him, I, were, I was battling this. I'll, I'll just add to that. Um, one thing I have learned, you can't fix things overnight. It takes time. Take time and use it right. That's all I got to say about that. Go ahead, let's give her. If you could, with balancing life and work and, and what we wish we would have known to start with, I think just number one is making sure each other knows that you are the most important thing in my life and your family is the most important thing and just try to show ways every day. The, your calendar, very important, family. But like every day, every week, where are we at? Just analyze, evaluate, because there are needs that arise that maybe you didn't count on. Maybe you had an emotional day, a rough day, and um, maybe I'm more needy that day than I was yesterday. And so just both of you being sensitive to each other's needs at the time, because you both come together and you're so different. And so it's not a give all the time for one, but it's just this day, this hour, what's the need right now is um, I think important to start with. Absolutely. And let me say, on the heels of what's being said right now, because we do have several engaged couples um, that are in the room, one thing that I've recognized, even on marriage personally, and then working with couples for so many years, 
is the value of premarital counseling. God forgive us in the church that we ever got into such a stigma against counsel. Lord, forgive us. And the need for appropriate premarital counseling so that we can have the effective tools to carry into the marriage. Because most in here that would be really vulnerable will tell you that a lack of premarital counsel or a lack of proper implementation of real even the tools that maybe didn't seem real fun at the time, a lack of implementation cost them a lot of trial down the road. And so taking the right amount of time in premarital counsel and being serious about it, I promise you, ladies, I know you want the flowers and the decorations to look good, but those flowers are going to die. Right. That runner's going to tear. And at the end of the day, if you spent a thousand hours on decor and you spent three hours on council, you'll yeah. wish you could flop those. Can I just add to that real quick, Brother Barkas? I totally agree with that. Counseling is more than just taking a personality test. Yeah. All right. Well, I took a personality. We took a personality test. That's really all was offered to us. Was a all that was offered was a personality test. We read books. We tried our best to get as much information, but in that way, we were, we were failed. So that's been, like you said, sometimes you're failed. I, I interrupted. Yeah. No, no, it's fine. But I'm yeah. allowed to, right? You do that well. And I do. You look so good. I, I don't care. Do it. <laughs> you're so pretty while you do it. I just. And this is when I say, okay. Praise the Lord, saints. <laughs> but I, I'm totally, you're right. We, we have not taken proper time to really dig deep into the mess that we brought into these marriages. And so things after the second or third year all of a sudden start coming unraveled. You're wondering why. It's more than a personality test. Yeah, because, uh, you know, walking into marriage, you, you have these two. It doesn't, personality is one thing, right? Personality is one thing. But for the average young couple, sex is going to fix it all. We're just going to have great sex and everything's going to be fine. <laughs> it was an incredible Cracker Jack box counseling that you got because the reality is what they said yesterday until you roll over and you recognize morning breath happens, right? And pregnancy weight happens. Oh, that got a little more quiet. <laughs> we got to understand the realities of it. And so at, at some point in the game, the marriage game, if you allow me to use that terminology, it even if you did do premarital counseling, people only did marriage counseling if they were in trouble. So, <laughs> and so we, we end up having to rescue shipwrecks when we should have been pulling in and just getting a little maintenance done. And so I think we're trying to change the stigma on that, but that's something that needs to be considered because people, because there is the perception you only get counsel if you're failing. That, that's why most counselors get marriages that are done. And then they're blamed if they can't resurrect the marriage. Well, we tried the counselor. The counselor didn't work. Ultimately, you've got to have God at the center of it. Right. But, you know, I, I think pro proven point there. We well, I, I'll just say, you know, what you took, what took you 15 years to mess up can't be fixed in five minutes. Cannot. That's right. Sister Carson, this question is for you. You represent the women in the church at this point. How do you communicate effectively without bringing emotion in the conversation especially when you know you're right. I don't know. I think I'm... We have passionate conversations. <laughs> we do. <laughs> uh, so my wife, my wife has a tendency to talk loud sometimes. Can I... Is this okay? Well, I don't yell. No, 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 no. No. <laughs> but I do have... I have to... I do talk loud. She talks loud, and so she's getting her... And I go... And I'm sorry if I've done that to any of y'all. I think emotion is okay. 
Like we don't have to be afraid of emotion. It's okay to be angry, but like at them or how are you going to resolve your anger together or not attacking or it's okay to be angry at your children. Seems to me the Bible says be angry, but sin not. not. So how, how do we do that? You know, there was a question about anger. Maybe we'll get to that, but I think, I think the sinning, maybe somebody has a different opinion about this, but I just, just a quick thought on angry and sinning is when you've disrupted your home or nobody feels safe in there, or you had a selfish outburst and you feel better, but everybody else is cowering or like that's selfishness and that's sinning, but it's okay. Emotions are okay. Fear and sadness and fear sometimes. I think one of the easiest ways to guard this is if you go into every conversation feeling that there has to be a winner and a loser. It's that old statement, right? The problem's not the problem. There's a root of the issue. I understand you're competitive when you play board games. We are at our house. If I play her, I want to win. But you won't. (laughs) (laughs) Next question. You know, Pastor, I have to admire the way you just kind of helped your wife right there and that bailed her out there a little bit when she felt, I, I admire that, seriously. How do you communicate dissatisfaction with your spouse? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this one. <laughs> well, I think it also leads you to... cut a, their arm off. Yeah, you, that's what you do. And they don't ever mess with you again. I'll never do sign language again. <laughs> People only get half the message. Why is he stuttering? I'm going to take his mic. <laughs> I'm dissatisfied right now. That's what you do. No, I think, I know one thing. I can think of a time where, and he didn't do it because he knew that it was going to bug me. But if I were ever out on a girl's day, just taking a break, he would text me, call me like 15 times. And it dissatisfied me. Because I want to be left alone. Leave me alone. And so I found humor helped to kind of make it funny, but to also get my point across and then to be able to say, but you know, but really, I just need five hours. I need 24 hours, <laughs> whatever you need. But I think humor helps a lot. And I think having, a, having that I'm dissatisfied with this conversation is better when you're not in the middle, middle of a fight. Yeah. If you, I, he knows me, I'll brood on things, I'll think on things, and then I'll come into his office or wherever he's at and be like, all right, what's up? <laughs> I have something I need to tell you or ask you or confront you about. I need you to listen to me. And I need to say those words. I need you to hear what I'm saying. And then I'll have to say, I didn't like it, or I don't like this. I need this to change. Could you help me here? Because if I just get mad and stomp around the house, I'm not, I'm just getting mad and stomp around the house, and I'm getting madder. So anyway, you understand what I'm saying, I hope. I think praying about the right time to bring things up is is very important. She is way more spiritual than I am. (laughs) (laughs) No, which is a great thing. (laughs) Just for the right time. Prayer. That's it. Just, just, Lord, this is really bothering me, but I want, I want to approach him about this when he's ready to receive it and help me when I approach him about this for me to have the right attitude and for him to be receptive about it. You can always tell when that prayer happens. <laughs> and when it hasn't occurred. There's code words. The Prince of Persia. He stopped 21 days for that prayer get If the beginning of the conversation starts with, I'm just saying, probably wasn't preceded by prayer. <laughs> and, he, and here's the truth. The right thing in the wrong time is the wrong thing. Yeah. And so, do not assume that you can too quickly have the conversation that has you strained emotionally 
and you be able to have it in a balanced demeanor. And you know that if you have that conversation, male or female, and you cannot have a balanced emotional demeanor to have that conversation, it'd be better for you to not have the conversation. Well, the Bible says, and, and, and Brother Sergeant said, I, I can't let the sun go down on my wrath, and I'm going to be mad until I deal with that. Well, then you do need to pray because he or she is not the keeper of your emotions. God is, and you are. So you take that to prayer, but you might not be able to have that conversation until, how many know that one or two days does a lot for processing how the conversation happens? Yeah. Now, Pastor, turn Pastor to your neighbor Carson. and tell them, easier said than done. I thought you were identifying it. Oh, no, keep going. So I heard, uh, I can't remember where it came from, but let it lay in the grave for three days, and if it's good, it'll come back to life. I think that was Jesus that said that. Yeah. It's almost biblical. Yeah. I would agree. I would agree with everything that's been said. Um, pick your moment. Let's get on a practical level here. Pick your moment. When they come home from work is not the moment. When they get up in the morning, some people do not exist till the third cup of coffee. You talk to them. This is what happens. Leave them alone. Pick your moment. Find the right time. And it's a lot easier. Pick your time. And not in front of other people. Got to handle it right now. And out to dinner with people. I don't know. Or why. in front of your kids. Or in front of your kids. No. What somebody said it earlier. What she just said right there. Somebody said earlier about the unsafe environment. One of the ladies, I think, said it. Right there, you, you can think it's not affecting your kids. It's affecting your kids. You've heard me say it before. When mom and dad yell, no one wins. No one wins. And your kids know a lot more what's going on than what you think. Oh, they're just two. They pick up on things that you don't even realize that they're picking up on. You don't want to be the reason that 30, 40 years down the road, they carry a box into a seminar. I told her when she got done, that's the most beautiful illustration I wish you did not have. Here's the scene. One spouse is an introvert and the other is an extrovert. Now deal with church fellowship and perhaps volunteer work at the church in light of this. I think that's a perfect opportunity for balance. For two opposites to come together and find the balance. One help the other one a little and... Just kind of got to talk about it because sometimes the extrovert is really wanting to go do this and you need to go with that person and fulfill their need of getting the, you know, social stuff. But then sometimes the introvert really needs to go home and just have quiet and that extrovert needs to give in there. So just each scenario, I feel like the two people need to come and decide, okay, is this a you time or a me time kind of thing? What, what's the need? And maybe if there's an event um, at the church, hey, let's go, we don't have to stay long, or can we just stay 15 minutes after? And you compromise and help each other out, and we're, you're both satisfied because you're not staying very long, but the one that needs to socialize can, and then the other one can just know that it's a limited time. And I think, and I think the way that you make that, that's a perfect illustration, and what you gotta make sure, if you're the extrovert, and the introvert gave in, and they stayed 15 minutes, 20 minutes, but the event's an hour. They stayed 15, 20 minutes. What you can't do is get in the car and immediately throw the grenade. Well, it's not what I wanted, but I'm glad we stayed for a little while. If you don't celebrate the wins, you probably won't get many. Okay? How does one cope with an unsaved spouse? I guess I'm taking this one. Um, What's this say about Brother Sarge? <laughs> well, I'm going to speak for my mom. I'm oh, not good. Speak for I'm, I'm glad she went with her mother. Goodness. Instead I'm going to see. Instead of me, I was getting a little concerned. Oh. I thought I was saved. Most of the time. I, <laughs> obviously, I only have what was modeled to me. And so my mom never made excuses because her spouse wasn't saved. 
She didn't say, well, your dad's not going, so we're not going. She, we were at everything. My mother worked nights. She would get up and she would take us to uh, work day at the church. She would take us to uh, peanut brittle baking, whatever was going on. She never made excuses. She just made it a point to live for God. She, I would hear her praying in her room. So it can be done. It can be done. I know it's hard. It's difficult. I know that my mom, I remember her saying, I just want to worship with my husband in the altar like I see other people do that. And you can wish for that and desire that and make it a matter of prayer. I will tell you this, and I don't, they weren't married. They were divorced. But before my dad passed away, I know that he made it right with God. Maybe she didn't see those prayers in her lifetime together, but she saw those prayers come true. And she told me, I'm just so thankful that one day I'm gonna see him in heaven. So I don't know if that really answers the question, but be consistent, especially your children are watching. Don't talk bad about your spouse because he doesn't make it to the house of God. Be careful about the words you say, but bring them anyway. We're gonna pray for dad or we're gonna pray for mom. It is usually the, the wife, but we're gonna pray for mom. We're gonna pray for dad, whoever it is. I'm going on. What is the best way to deal with loss, death as a couple? You know, I don't have personal experience and I think with none of us picking up the mic, maybe we don't, we can't speak from personal, like we've never lost a child. I've, but we know of a family back in Connecticut who they lost their 14-year-old son to drowning on a youth uh, boating trip. And all I know of is what they did. And I can only pray that, God forbid, if anything happened, that we would do the same because it's what's helped them stay together 20, I don't know, maybe 20 years still. They had one other daughter, and she's one of my really good friends. And, or they had one daughter. And um, when that happened, I said, Crystal, what did, like, how did you guys handle this? Because my friend Crystal was on the um, on the trip and saw her brother, saw this happen. And that evening she said when everybody went home, the dad called them together and just they sat in the living room and they just prayed together and they said, we're gonna get through this. And they just involved the Lord in there and they stayed tight together. And I mean, that's all that I know to speak of is that experience. I'll address this because we've, we've recently in the last we're almost four years into the passing of my, my wife's dad, my father-in-law. You have to give the individual or both of you time to grieve. Don't try to rush the grieving process. To this day, we'll be driving down the road and my wife will see something and it'll trigger an emotion. And I could be very, very, I could wreck a moment by saying, why don't you just get over it? I mean, it's been four years. But give her time to grieve. Give him time to grieve. Grieve together. Go through the process. If you're having a hard time dealing with it, get some help to work you through the process. Let's not try to fast forward and Pentecostalize a loss. I say that in all respect, but we have a tendency. If they can get them to shout in the altar, then it's all good. No, they're still dealing with it. They're still hurting from it. Take time to grieve. Right, that's a great biblical illustration of that. If the resurrection handles everything, then Christ doesn't show up to Thomas and say, go ahead. Go ahead and touch these. Well, if a good prayer meeting fixed everything, then we wouldn't have those moments. But some of you in here, the reason your marriage is so dynamic is that scars and all, you've made it. Loss and all, you've made it. So one thing that I deal with as a pastor and that they have probably both dealt with multiple times is the loss of a spouse. 
and how that works. And so let me speak to anyone that either you've been there and you've remarried and you're here today. First of all, God bless you and your remarriage and your opportunity to move on. But let me tell any of the elders that might hear, if you do lose a spouse, and I do encourage couples to have this conversation. I do encourage couples to have the conversation about after me and not just the joking one like, I bet you'd remarry quick. Not, not that one. The, the, the real one, okay, where God forbid if something would happen, how do we want this to affect? And it might be dependent upon the age of your children, things like this. But I will tell you this. If you ever become a widow or a widower, I think you need to be armed with this. No one else gets to live vicariously through how you should act. I've seen widows and widowers who have come to me because their children will not leave them alone. And the truth is, it's not the child's responsibility to tell mom or dad who lost someone how they should act at this season of their life. Some of the dumbest spiritual mistakes I've ever seen made were by people who were lonely. And so what does the responsibility for us in here that our marriages are intact, what do we have when we experience somebody who has dealt with loss, whether it be a family member, a sibling, or a spouse that's been lost, is to be the body of Christ and be the dispensers of grace through that situation and that circumstance. How do you talk with your kids about problems in the church? Well, we don't talk about problems in the church. That's pretty easy for us. Now, we're, we're pastors, so let me, let me take this to someone in the room here that you're saying, well, us, issues in the church. Um, I think the first way that we've got to determine, is it a problem in the church or is it your problem in the church? And I don't mean that as a shot, or maybe I do. Um, is, is it a real problem? Is it a universal or a general issue? Or is it a personality issue with you? So let me, let me find a scenario, okay? Um, let's, pick on, let's pick on kids' ministry. Let's pick on the stoners, okay? Where are they at? I saw them somewhere. Oh, I see them. Okay, Brother Stoner, I'm gonna pick on you and your deep voice, okay? So Brother Stoner's teaching or preaching on, on Wednesday night to our kids' church and something negative happens. And... First of all, the interpretation comes from a child. How was kids' church tonight? Oh, it was good. I was surprised when Brother Soner said, blah, blah, blah. First of all, before you take the interpretation of the child, before you speak to your friend about it, before you get overboard about it, the biblical thing would probably be pray and then go talk to him about it. Okay? I would not encourage you to have deep dialogue with your child. I had a parent tell me one time, well, I don't keep secrets from my, from my kids about things that are happening in the church. I, I, I didn't think I heard them right. I said, time out, say, say that again. Yeah, if, if something's happening in the church, I'd tell them. And I'm thinking, the kid is nine years old. I can tell that you can't process it well at 40. So I'm quite certain they can't process it. And what happens is the church... It's the seed of hypocrisy that's sown in, and then people can take it. So how do I converse with my children about an issue in the church? A, I make sure that I, as the adult, follow the proper protocol to go to the leader, have that conversation. If my child is hurt, then I need to teach them how to handle and how to model it. I do not think it's wrong to have the conversation with your children, but I do think that we should, to the best of our ability, Guard our children from unnecessary church hurt. Amen. And I'll just add a layer to that. We have been introduced to a new concept in this generation called social media. Don't take it to Facebook. Don't be passive aggressive. I thought someone would run the aisles right there. I really did, because that's really good. Our biggest issue is we are bold behind a keyboard and a computer screen. Have the guts to talk to the individual before you make assumptions. Yes, sir. Assumptions 
will assassinate your family, your marriage, your children. I would agree, Brother Carson. Everyone should raise both hands on that. I was try. I was trying, but I'm a little short. But I get there. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Amen. Give him a hand. <laughs> Anyways, come on, folks. Let's quit. Let's quit being this passive aggressive, hoping that the pastor will see my post. He doesn't have time to see your post. I won't. And if I do, I won't respect it. I won't respect, I will not respect the devil enough to use a negative medium to handle a holy thing. Yeah, yeah. Can I tag in on this? I'm, I'm going to take it just a little bit of a different direction. My, uh, I, before I became a pastor's wife, I was a saint. And my mama wanted to make sure I made it to heaven, so she didn't talk about my pastor. But my, my grandmother, my father's mom, I was in her home. I heard so much garbage about my pastor that my mom finally moved me to my unsaved grandmother because she didn't talk junk about her pastor. And so I know, I didn't know things about my pastor until I was old enough to handle it. Things that I was like, he told you what? He said what to you? She protected him. And I'm not saying that pastors walk on water. They're human, they make mistakes. The Sunday school pastor is gonna make a mistake. The youth pastor is gonna make a mistake. Especially the youth pastor. Always the youth pastor, because they try to wear skinny jeans when they're out of style. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Protect your children. You want them to make it to heaven. And that guy right there is trying to get them there, and this one right here is trying to get them there. And if you bring them down in their eyes, well, they can't help you. Yeah. And they're here to help you right. and work with you. So that's how you they, they have They have your children and your family less than five hours a week. And if you're fighting that behind closed doors when you get in your house, you're fighting what's trying to happen here. You're divisive. You're of the devil. I just said it. I'll be gone. I'll be gone Monday. I promise. Yeah. You have to protect what God has established. Because when those children get to making decisions, if they've got a bent view of leadership in their life, they're not going to go to leadership for advice when the struggle comes. Let me give you one real quick. My dad pastored a church for a few years in Idaho. They were the most rotten people on the planet. I'm just being honest. They're, they were, I never knew it. I didn't know it till I was in my 30s. Some of the things, my dad and mom set us down one time we were at their house for Thanksgiving and my dad told me the whole story. My parents, when it was all going down, when my dad resigned and everything started hitting the fan, my parents called my grandmother, my mom's mom, she came from California, picked us up. We had a great vacation for a few weeks in California. I thought everything was great. What I didn't know is there was an attack going on, and my parents from the ministry side didn't want me and my brothers to have a bent view of the saints. That works in between relationships in the church. You, you may say, well, I don't talk about my pastor, but you talk about your brother and your sister. Let's be careful. Let's guard that. It's important. I'm gonna, Just I'm briefly, gonna, briefly, uh, this is not broadcast or recorded, right? I assume. It is being recorded. I know. Push pause. Push pause, briefly. We were in another setting outside of Indiana. First, I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 7, 2. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. The wife hath not power over her own, her, body, her own body, but the husband. And likewise also the husband hath not power over his own body, but the wife. Defraud ye not one another, except it be with consent for a time, and so on. The question is, 
about intimacy, of course, and about should acts be forced, mutually agreeable? Are there things that are off limits? Yeah, fantastic question. Um, first of all, if it's Bible, we should probably try to follow it. Um, and I don't mean that as a tongue in cheek. I mean that as a general statement. We should try to follow it. Here's, here's, this is a little bit of a layered question, so let me take an approach at it um, in, that, in that manner. First of all, sex is not something you get to withhold if you're angry. Ain't, oh, wow, that was really quiet. Um, sex is not a bargaining chip. Okay? Well, you've been ignorant to me all week. I'm not having sex with you. Okay. Fantastic. Guys, be nuts. Don't be ignorant. But I will tell you this. Sex is not something that you get to use because when you said I do, you gave your body to them. I need a few more amens or I'm going to get a little... I don't want to get too gross or grotesque in any way on this, but I do want us, we're adults in this room, and I'm going to tell you, God designed sex to be good. Outside of marriage, it is sin against your body. When I counsel with a couple and talk to them about engagement, it doesn't matter if they've been living together, it doesn't matter what it's been. If you have sex outside the confines of biblical marriage, it is fornication. Once you are married, though, it your spouse should not feel like you are a stranger that every couple weeks you get to fulfill a flesh need for them. That's not what intimacy is. Intimacy is that the husband, Sister Sargent said it great when she said the action there, the intimacy action. And, and how many know that sex is a lot more than just the physical act? Okay? The gender neutral role that is happening in our world is eliminating this. It has turned sex and the act of sexual relation into something that is so grotesque and so perverted. Um, so as far as, well, pastor, how often should we be having sex? We, 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 you know, we go so long and, and she doesn't want to, then you need marriage counseling. Or maybe it's him. Ladies, I'm going to tell you right now, if you're going long periods of time where he does not want sex, you need marriage counseling. Well, he's great. He never needs it. Uh. <laughs> then he's got a medical condition or a heart condition. Yeah. Okay? And this is where emotional affairs happen. This is where... Uh, this is kind of all interwoven together. He doesn't, he doesn't come around you as much, but maybe he's texting someone of the opposite sex too often. Yeah, yeah. Well, they've been friends for a long time. No, it doesn't matter. Guys and girls, you hear me right now. He can't have a female friend that close. And she can't have a male friend that close. If I walk in and you're texting him, we're talking. And then him and I are talking. Right. That's right. I'm telling you right now, that's the way Amen. we defend that. And so when it comes to how often is often enough, according to what Paul is teaching the church here, he said when it comes to a break in sexual relation. Now, men, hear me right now. She is not your sex slave. That's right. She's not your sex slave. Okay? That's not how it works. It should be in balance. And every person in here, every male based on age and personality and DNA and everything else, scientific makeup, everyone in here has different levels of sex drive. That is not perverse. Please hear me. That's righteous. But if it's because you watch filthy mess, you should not Talk be watching. It. Talk about it. And you're watching pornography and wonder why she won't act like a porn star in the bedroom. I might be your pastor. I'm about to be your pastor, okay? Yeah, yeah. You watch things that you should not watch and wonder why she won't do actions that she should not biblically do because you want 50 shades of filth. Come on, guys. We got to step up to this. Right. My wife, I've listened to my wife plenty of times tell young ladies, there are times where you will have to be Holy Ghost filled and strong when the man will not. But I would say to the men and women, 
We must guard the marriage bed. The marriage bed being undefiled has become the most twisted verse. Right. I've watched people take that and try to make the wedding bed perverse. That is not what that's, well, we can do whatever we want because it's the wedding bed. Yeah. That is not what that is speaking about. It's speaking about the purity of one man and one woman. One man and one woman having a godly marriage and a healthy sex life. Now, if you want to go deeper in the counseling on that, we can set that up and talk about what that means. But it, it, it does not mean, and you hear me, it does not mean your sex life should be boring. Your sex life should be fantastic. Right. Husbands, you're welcome to use that. Okay? And wives, you're welcome to turn on them and say, then you should make me feel sexual. Right. You should make me feel like this isn't a one-sided engagement. Exactly right. I, I, uh, again, I'll be gone Monday. Um, there is no such thing as soft porn. Porn is porn. I counseled a couple one time that told me that they, in order to get in the mood, they had to watch a porn scene. I said, that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. When you introduce something that is outside the scope of the blessing of God mm -hmm. into the marriage bed, you have violated the principle of the word of God. We have to stay within the confines of the Bible. Pastor Carson described it better than anything I've ever heard. When it says the marriage bed is undefiled, it's that vulnerability my wife was talking about. It's that pureness that exists. And I'm going to be a little plain here. Uh, can I, can I... The anatomy of a man is to give. The anatomy of a woman is to receive. Guys, we live in a generation that's all about meeting our needs. That's not what intimacy and sex is about. Do I have to get it any plainer? Do we get it? We're all adults here. Look at your wife and say, I think you're talking plain. <laughs> not your neighbor, but your wife, my wife said. Punch five people and tell them, get ready, get ready. <laughs> I think someone needs to take it because I was about ready to just, go a little step further and I better be Just careful. briefly, and, and I've thought about this because we did have a, a short period to kind of examine the questions. And I feel like the Lord may have spoken to me a little bit about this or reminded me of something that I was probably stubborn about for a lot of years. Moses goes up into the mountaintop. He's going to meet God, get the Ten Commandments. Children of Israel down in the valley melting their jewelry. They form a golden calf and began worshiping the golden calf. The golden calf was not artistic creativity. It was sinful mimicry from where they just came from. Wow. You know what I'm saying, Pastor? Wow. You need to ask yourself, male or female, this question. Is our sex life artistic creativity and intimacy? Or is it sinful that. mimicry? And I wanted to tee that up for you, Pastor, because I don't know how to even close that. Well, very carefully. <laughs> very carefully. Yeah, and, and, and so let me tie these two things together. I cannot stress this enough. The younger generation, to talk about sex in the older generation was taboo. To talk about sex in the younger generation is frivolous. And we have a diluted view of beauty. And so since the golden calf shimmers in the fire, and since everyone else is dancing, since everyone else is swinging. I, my, my. Since everyone else is having a little wine. 
Since everyone else is sexting, since everyone else is flirting with their friends, we're not everyone else. We've never been everyone else. So what is biblical, what is biblical intimacy? It starts here. When my relationship with him, you hear me talk about this, my vertical, then my horizontal can be right. And the first offshoot from my vertical, my first horizontal relationship is with my spouse. Because we too became one flesh. And that's why too often when there is not accurate godly pleasure in intimacy, it's because the spouse is acting towards their partner the way they feel about themselves. You use them because you feel used. Or you deny them because you feel denied. And the truth is, if we could get this relationship right, it would cause healthy communication here. And when she tells you she doesn't like it, she's not insulting you, she's aiding you. And, and when he tells you he feels neglected, He's not trying to insult or abandon you. He's trying to draw you together. And so what it comes back to, and it's my number one point of marriage counseling, and Brother Sargent said it yesterday, it's communication. It's communication. We need to clearly communicate from the altar to the bedroom. And that never needs to cease. Your, your sex life can be godly, healthy, and wonderful from both sides of the table. How many believe that's possible? And, that, and I'm going to tell you, it is possible, and it's the way it's meant to be. I, I know. Are we, are we finished? We're okay. Are we okay? Yeah, we are. Okay. Great. I just, on the lighter side, you mentioned, you know, the frequency. I heard a story one time of a man. He was with a bunch of men. They were teaching, and he talked about the frequency of sex. You know, guys are like, yeah, two or three times a week. And sometimes the guy's like, well, yeah, right. Yeah, they're like, oh, twice a week, three a month, you know, whatever. This old man in the back had his hands raised. He's like, over here, over here. They said, yes, how long for you? He goes, once a year. They said, well, why are you so excited? Tonight's the night. <laughs> so, folks, tonight's the night. <laughs> 